Well, we are in week three of our series called Garden Variety Wisdom. We're looking at four verses from the book of Proverbs that describe four small yet exceedingly wise creatures. And we're looking at how we can use some of their wisdom and stuff it into our lives. First, we looked at the ant. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the ant. How the ant prepares, always preparing. In the summer, they're preparing for the winter, for the lean times. And all the time, they're preparing for the harvest, for God's blessing. That's what we learned in that. Last week, we looked at the hyrax, a little fuzzy animal. They know how to not just survive, but thrive in life. They've got all these enemies, yet they still know how to thrive in their life. They know who to listen to. They know who to connect with, and they know when to run to the rocks for protection. Today, we're going to talk about the locust. Yuck. (laughs) The locust. Here's what Proverbs says. Locusts have no king. They have no commander, yet they advance together in ranks. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at a picture like this of locust, I think, well, that's just a grasshopper, right? And you know what? I've got a point. It turns out that entomology has no consistent taxonomic distinction between the locust and the grasshopper species. Don't I sound intelligent when I quote from Wikipedia? Yes. (laughs) They're the same thing, really. Now, every week we've taken a look at, at the creature in question and call out some of their unique qualities. So what are some of the unique qualities of the locust. One thing that stands out is that they are edible. Aren't you hungry now? They're edible. Many cultures consider them a delicacy. Supposedly, they are one of the highest sources of protein available. Not only are they edible, they're also kosher. So keep that in mind when you plan next week's menu. Let me know how they taste. (laughs) I'm not doing it. Primarily, though, the distinctive trait of the locusts is that they are known for their ability to swarm. They can gather by the millions, move en masse across huge geographical areas. The desert locust, which is the locust Proverbs is referring to here, can cover 20% of the earth's surface. They could threaten the economic livelihood of 10% of the world's population. A locust swarm can be as big as 460 square miles. And they can pack as many as 80 million locusts into each square mile. Each locust can eat its weight in plants every day. So a swarm that size would eat 423 million pounds of plants every day, which is slightly less than what my son and his friends eat when they come over for a sleepover. (laughs) Now, this ability to swarm is what Proverbs calls the locusts' wisdom, why they're considered wise. Even though they have no leader, they're able to move together as one. Something interesting I noticed while working on this message is how many of the sermons and and the commentaries and devotionals that I read and listened to in relation to this verse, 
a lot of people really struggle with this no leadership idea. Some even tried to twist the words into an appeal for more leadership. Like it's an antithesis kind of thing, and it, it's calling for more leadership. Now, I understand that struggle to not really feel good about hearing the Bible talk about the locusts with no leader, because I know leadership is essential. You guys should know I know that. We need it. We cannot survive without it. The, one of the greatest needs, if not the greatest need in the church today, is for committed, dedicated people to stand up and say, I will lead the charge in seeing this thing through to completion. Every pastor I know lives and breathes leadership because we know without it, nothing gets done. I could easily rattle off half a dozen examples right here at Cornerstone that would have never happened if one of you hadn't taken the reins and made it happen. I mean, we have a saying around here, no leader, no ministry. If, if somebody wants to start some, some ministry and there's no leader for it, we're not doing it. That's how important leadership is. We need leadership, especially in the church. But maybe, think about it, maybe that lack of leadership is one of our human weaknesses. You know, maybe the fact that we always need a leader shows our human weakness. Proverbs seems to be saying that if you're the kind of person who can do what needs to be done, working together in unity with others, without needing to be pushed or begged, or threatened, or promised to have a pew with your name on it in the church, if you can just do what needs to be done in partnership with others who share the commitment, then this little Bible verse is implying that you are very wise indeed. So today I want to talk about how we can build some of that quality, a quality that says, let's work together and let's go for it right now. Here's the first thing we need to consider. Let's not kid ourselves about being independent. Really. According to a George Barna survey, 95% of Americans consider themselves to be independent thinkers. Almost everybody thinks they're an independent thinker. People insist, I'm my own person. Nobody tells me what to think or how to be. So many of us act like Popeye. I am what I am. Remember that? We think we're so unique, and while we're thinking this way, we have the identical hairstyles, the clothing style, the music preferences. Everyone else in our group, we just seem to match. Most people who claim to be independent thinkers look and talk and act like everyone in their circle. And most of them don't have close friendships with people outside of their circle. You can say this about the emo kids in high school or about the fraternity guys in college or the women's circle at church or the old men's spit and whittle club. <laughs> Each one of us fits into at least one or two, maybe even more, identifiable social circles. And we tend to act like those with whom we identify. Now, if you're thinking maybe everyone else is like that, but not me, you're kidding yourself. None of us are completely 100% independent. 
not in the way we think, not in the way we act. We're all part of a group. Our thoughts and feelings and beliefs and opinions are all influenced by others. This only makes sense. It's the way it should be because we are social creatures. God created us to live together, to work together, to spend our lives connected to each other. In the year 270 AD, Anthony the Great, Sir Anthony the Great, Saint Anthony the Great, he heard a sermon that inspired him to sell all his possessions, give the money to the poor, and then he escaped out into the desert to live in solitude. Well, that started a movement. And uh, thousands of people did the same thing. They fled to the desert for solitude. So many people did it that one of the early historians noted that it had become difficult to actually find a place of solitude out in the wilderness because everybody was out there. The problem with the whole idea of escaping to the desert, and believe me, I wanted to do that a time or two, but the problem with that whole idea is that this is not what we were made for. God created us to live in connection, to be created. uh, He created us to be part of a team or, or some kind of a group. A story was written that one monk told another one that he planned to shut himself in a room, in his room, cut off from all human contact so that he might perfect himself. The second monk replied, If you cannot be the kind of person you should be while living in community with others, you'll never become a better person by living all alone. That's so true. That's why we really believe that here. Second part of our process, connections, connections. We need to abandon this idea that we're rugged individualists, toot our own horn, and we march to a different drum and we're the leader of our own one-man band. Each of us can be identified with at least one group, and most of us find identity with several groups. Now that brings me to the next thing. If it's inevitable that we're part of a group, if we're not all that independent by ourselves, then we need to get with a group that's going places, doing something. I'm saying here, choose who you identify with carefully. You know, I've been on both sides of of the interview process a lot of times over the years. And I'm surprised how churches and individual Christians even are so reluctant to admit something. There's a popular checklist. You've probably heard of it before. When when any group or organization's hiring people, they use this checklist called the three C's, character, competency, and chemistry. They look for those three things before they hire somebody. Church search teams are totally fine if they're vetting the pros and cons regarding character. That's important. You want somebody with good character. No one has ever had a problem investigating the education, the experience, the successes, the failures in order to determine a candidate's, a candidate's competency. Very important. You want to know they know what they're doing. But if someone on the team has the nerve to mention that they feel a little red flag about the chemistry, 
how they're going to get along with each other. Watch out. Here it comes. All the Christianese judgmentalness comes. We can't be like that. We are supposed to get along with everyone. We can't go by our feelings. It's like we're afraid to find out if we have the same values and the same priorities. But that is so important. It really matters how individuals act in a particular group because it's going to influence the whole group. We need to take a look at each group we're in and evaluate their influence in our lives. We need to give consideration to what the group stands for and where the group is going. Because the fact is that every group to which we belong plays a role in shaping who we become. There's a danger when large numbers of people unite. We've got to watch out for this. It's the danger called the hive mind or the group think. When people are strongly connected to a group, they will sometimes do things they otherwise wouldn't normally do. You know how that goes. That's why some states have in their laws that uh, when a teenager first gets their license, they're not allowed to have passengers or maybe only one passenger at a time because they know. You get a group together, uh, they could do some wrong things. Now, it's a wonderful thing when a group comes together and says, hey, let's all pitch in and help this family out of a jam. Or let's, let's all pitch in and support a missionary. Let's pitch in and clean up the neighborhood. Those are good things that demonstrate the power of a group swarming and moving as one. The flip side, however, is that some groups can turn sour and do some things that aren't so good. People who aren't critical at home often take on critical attitudes when they get with a group of critical friends. Or people who don't normally gossip when they're alone are capable of all kinds of gossip, even hurtful actions when they get with a group that's prone to this kind of stuff. I've seen the hive mind take over churches. It's an easy trap to fall into. One way to avoid this trap is to stay away from groups that have such tendency. Years ago, the church I was working at, we were going through a church split. We didn't really call it that. We were trying to be as peaceful as possible. But uh, it, it was a church split. We were disagreeing with each other, two factions. And I kept telling myself that, well, it's not all that bad. You know, not really. I've seen a lot of church splits that were terrible. I've heard of others that are even worse than that. So during that time, Terry and I ran into a woman at a store. She used to go to the church, church and hadn't been there in a while. When I asked where she had been, she said, oh, I just decided to stay away from all the mess. She said, I have plenty of fighting at home and at work. The last place I want to be in a war is at church. I'm not really proud of that, but she was right. We weren't trying to work things out, the two groups, you know, even, even the groups individually. When we got together, we were just holding on to our respective ideologies. We were worse together than, than we were apart. We argued. She made the right decision. She went to a church with a more nurturing atmosphere. If you're in a group that isn't good for you, the best thing for you to do is get out. 
Now, be careful with it. You need to find out if it's not just you. Maybe you're being selfish or whatever. But if you really find out the group isn't good for you, get out of it. It's not easy for me to say that because the leader in me wants to say, hey, if you're in a group that's moving in the wrong direction, then stand up and be the agent of change. That's because some groups are ripe for a qualified leader. They need someone to come in and maybe guide them in a new direction. Some groups are ripe for change, but not every group. In fact, some groups will never be changed. That's the group to avoid. Listen to what Jesus says. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. See, when people get in their stuck ways, the old ways, somebody throws in a new idea and things start to stretch and sometimes they just burst. Sometimes it just won't work with a group that doesn't want to change. I've seen it happen so many times. Just churches set in their ways. And when somebody comes in and brings a new idea in, things start to rip and burst. I hate to see that happen in a church. Now, I don't believe it's going to happen here very easily because we've allowed God to help us put some safeguards in place. But it can happen in certain segments of the church from time to time. We need to practice discernment in any group we come a part of. We need to start asking some questions. Maybe questions like this. Let me run through a few. Ask yourself, is this group moving in the right direction? Now, just because it's not your direction doesn't mean it's the wrong direction. So be careful. But ask yourself, entertain that question. Are we moving in the right direction? Does this group exhibit positive, uplifting, pure qualities when the members get together? That group in the church I was a part of, it was easy to tell if you listened. You know, it's not all that pure what we're doing. We're talking about the other group. Why don't we talk together and work it out? Ask this question, does the group value each member individually or do they just value the whole group? This group needs to be together at all cost when people are dying in the group. You know, are we promoting unity among individuals or do we just have a hive mind mentality? Here's the bottom line. Is Is what we're doing making me a better person? Me being a part of this group, is it making me a better person? If you cannot answer with an unequivocal yes, do not be a part of that group. You want to get better, not worse. Get with groups and teams that are making you better, that are allowing you to use your spiritual gifts, that are making you become more like Christ. And that brings us to the third thing. Build your relationships on common ground. Common ground. I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and many years ago, there were no major league baseball teams closer than eight hours away. Atlanta was the closest one. The best we got was 
maybe a little high school baseball, some little league, a TV broadcast on the weekends. But in spite of all that, I just fell in love with baseball. I know you guys don't realize that, but all I ever talk about is baseball. Well, you can tell how I love it by my collection of baseball caps. I collect baseball caps. Now, I don't necessarily wear one to support a particular team. I just wear baseball caps. I like baseball caps. I like baseball. But that gets me in trouble sometimes. Like when Terry and I went to Boston for one of our anniversaries. Without thinking, I was packing and I threw a couple of baseball caps in my suitcase, headed off to the Atlanta airport. We flew to Boston. The next morning, we threw some clothes on to go downstairs to the hotel restaurant and have breakfast. Well, I had some serious bedhead, so again, without thinking, I grabbed one of those baseball caps, put it on. It seemed like everybody was staring at me when I walked down the hallways and got on the elevator. I thought maybe they were just noticing how tired we looked from traveling. But then when we got to the restaurant... The host there said, you know, we don't wear those baseball caps around here. I pulled it off and looked. It was a Yankees cap. Okay, I get it. Red Sox fans support two teams, Boston and whoever beats New York. That's the two teams they support. (laughs) But while I was sitting there in the restaurant, humiliated, I thought, why can't Yankee fans and Red Sox fans share? Why can't they share this great sport of baseball and let that be the basis for their friendship. Not going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to happen. But it is sad that this applies to things much more important than baseball. It applies to every aspect of life in the church. I mean, we need to learn how to, to get along with other followers of Jesus. And we may, with other communities, other uh, churches, we may not share the same ideas about the Christian faith, not all of them, and some of those differences may be worthy of debate. But if we agree on the fundamental truth that Jesus Christ is our forgiver, our Savior, and if we agree that, uh, that Jesus is our leader, the leader of our lives, our Lord, then we need to unite with one another based on that common ground. If that's all we can get, that's enough. That's enough. You know, I meet once a month with about 10 other pastors right over here across the street at Abundant Harvest Church. We couldn't be more different in our styles of worship. I'm I'm kind of the oddball in the whole group. But I tell you this, we have a neat name Common ground. That's what we call ourselves. Common ground. We listen to each other. I actually learn things from those crazy guys. They may learn some things from me. We give each other advice and we pray for each other. Reminds me of what John Wesley said. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? He also said, if your heart is as my heart, then take my hand. It comes down to this. There's one question that we need to ask of ourselves and those in our circle. What good can we do together? What good can we do together? 
Can you imagine if every family asked that question? Each family, what good can we do together? Can you imagine what would happen if every ministry team here, every Bible study group decided to ask that question? What good can we do together? What if every church like us asked, instead of talking about how wrong everyone else is, how terrible the world is out there, what if our church joined hands in unity and said, what can we do good together? What if several churches, several churches in the community asked that question? Can you imagine the good that could be done? Sound familiar? I think we're gearing up for something in about a month. A way to practice this. You just heard about it from Keith, the Perry County Work Camp. It's a bunch of churches together. People of different ages, completely different worship styles, different interests, all with a unified cause to help people in need. That's a good thing. And we will be able to do so much more with a group of people with common interests than we could ever do by ourselves. There are so many examples of this happening all around the world. Christ followers are working together to build hospitals, to help people in need, to preach the gospel. It's happening all over the world, and it's happening right here in this community. It needs to define the way we think, the way we interact with others. Now, I'm all about leadership. You know that. We did a whole series on leadership rising so that all of us would get better at our leadership gift. But there are times when leadership should not be all that necessary. We should know better. We should be more like the locust. There are times when we should be able to look at one another and nod our heads in agreement and swarm together to do something good. No Pied Piper necessary. You and I are connected to a number of different groups. Each group has the potential to swarm. It could be like the locust and devour everything in our path. Or it could be doing something that the locusts can't even imagine. Maybe doing something good. You and I have the potential to unite with one another and say, what good can we do together? You and I have the potential to swarm this community with the love of Jesus. So let's not wait for someone to do it for us. Let's do it together. I really challenge you to sign up for that work camp for as much of it as you can do. We're talking about part of it even being uh, helping build some things over here at the nursing home. All kinds of stuff. Would you visit the Welcome Center? In the next few days, next couple of weeks, visit that Welcome Center. Get involved in other REACH programs we offer and watch it change your life and change the world around us. Maybe we can learn a little bit from the locust. Let's pray together. God Almighty, we know you, uh, you are our leader. And it makes me think that you must be the locust leader too. You created locusts and you taught them 
how to move in huge groups as one army, one mighty army. Lord, would you help us to be so unified that we're hearing your voice clearly as a team, as a group, as a church. We're hearing your voice and we're moving together. And there's no question about the direction because we're all hearing you. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to hear God's voice so clearly that that's how we will move as one. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.